Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. This Australian Investors Podcast episode is brought to you by The Intelligent Investor, Australia's premier investment research membership service. You can get a free trial for 15 days, no credit card details required. To access the insights of some of Australia's best analysts, use the coupon code RASK and secure your Intelligent Investor membership today. We're proud to have The Intelligent Investor as an ongoing supporter of the Australian Investors Podcast. As a result, RASK does not earn a volume-based fee. Simply head to intelligentinvestor.com.au or use the link in your podcast player to access your free trial. This episode of the Australian Investors Podcast is also proudly supported by SelfWealth, Australia's leading independent broker. Over 120,000 investors trust SelfWealth with over $9 billion in equities. With SelfWealth, you can trade ASX, US and Hong Kong listed shares for a flat fee. On a $10,000 investment with Comsec, you'd pay $29.95 in fees. Yet with SelfWealth, it's just $9.50. The thing I like about SelfWealth is the full access to fundamental company data and how easy it is to trade US, Hong Kong, and Aussie shares in one place. You can see your Apple shares and ACDC ETF right beside each other. To join SelfWealth now, use the link in your podcast player or head to selfwealth.com.au and use the coupon code RASK during sign-up. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Australian Investors Podcast, a series exploring the investment philosophies and journeys of some of Australia's leading investors and financial thinkers. I'm Owen Raskovich, founder of The Rask Group. For show notes and other episodes in this series, as well as free educational resources, please visit www.raskfinance.com. Before we go on, it's important to remember the Australian Investors Podcast is provided for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment, financial or taxation decision. The information included in this podcast does not take into account your needs, goals or objectives and guests appearing on the show may have a financial interest in some of the products mentioned. Please read all the important disclosure documents and refer to the RAS Group's Financial Services Guide on the RAS Finance website. Stephen McCarthy is Portfolio Manager at DMX Asset Management. Stephen is a qualified CPA and a passionate value investor. Prior to DMX, Stephen spent time as an expert company valuer, working on mergers and acquisitions and in insolvency. Stephen is known for his investments in quality small companies on the Australian Stock Exchange. So we spend time talking about his journey to finance, his investment beliefs, philosophy and process, as well as some of the most common mistakes made by small company investors. At the end of the episode, Stephen answers my favorite question with one of the best answers so far. Please enjoy this conversation with Stephen McCarthy of DMX Asset Management. 
Okay, Stephen, thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks for this opportunity. Uh, I'm going to start it off a bit differently uh, in this episode. I, I want to know what type of car do you drive? Yeah, I drive an old or a 2013 VW Golf. Great. Okay, great. An old VW. Uh, and your colleagues? Yeah, so uh, Roger Collison gets around in a, an old Honda. All right. And Simon Turner, um, a Mazda CX-5. Great. So very functional cars. Very, very functional, very practical. Wonderful. All right. Uh, for listeners, I'll fill you in on some of the details of that later in the show. Uh, but first, as usual, we'll start with your history, Stephen. And um, I believe you grew up in New Zealand and you studied a double degree at uh, the University of Auckland. Um, I suppose, where did the passion for finance come from? Yeah, look, as a, a growing up, always had an interest in news, um, current affairs, reading the newspaper. And as a teenager, I guess that, that sort of progressed to, to reading the, the business section of the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, really keen to, to follow companies' stories and corporate developments. And yeah, the, the, sort of at, at that time, started scouring the, the, the share tables on the, in the newspaper, mm-hmm. obviously, obviously pre-internet. Yep. And yeah, that, 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 that interest led me to uh, buying my first share at the age 18. 18, yeah, great. It was a New Zealand company, um, Corporate Investments, mm-hmm. owned a collection of assets, including Montana Wines, and they're doing, doing interesting stuff, doing inter- interesting deals. And that, yeah, that, that company was actually taken over three or four years later, so it was actually a, a pretty successful first investment. Yeah, great. Most people sell out at the first sign of a gain. That's yeah. three-year holding period. Wonderful. Yeah. Yes, and then so it's through university at the time um, in New Zealand, there was a a scheme, the student loan scheme, where you could mm-hmm. actually, at, at the time, there were, you could borrow as much, or you could borrow funds from the government, um, and there was no no restrictions, so you could like apply those funds however you however you wanted. So I oh, wow. was able to, um, yeah, to use use some of those funds to, to invest in the market, and again, it had some resulted in some some reasonable success, and was able to pay um, from the proceeds a, a fair chunk of my u- university fees. Oh, really? That's great. Okay, so you just you could get this money in. Was it interest-free? Uh, it was interest-free at the, at the time, yeah. Oh, yeah. great. It's, okay. Obviously, it's subsequently been, been changed. Yep. Not I can imagine. Up, but yep. at, at, yeah, it was a, an opportunity at the, at the time to, to take advantage of. Oh, wonderful. Um, okay, let's jump forward a little bit to your first job uh, post-uni. Uh, was it at an insolvency firm? Correct, yes. Uh, I imagine you were getting your hands dirty, um, applying some of the things that you learned at school or at uni. Can you tell us more about that and, and what the, the types of things that you were doing? Yeah, so in, in insolvency, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough game, um, and it's, you know, you're dealing with pretty emotional situations. Um, you've got shareholders who have fa- lost a lot of money, families mm. have lost their businesses, creditors have lost money, employees have lost their jobs, so it's, you know, it's pretty, pretty tough situations to, to, to deal with. But look, it really made me focus on the, on the importance of cash flow, mm. and you know, if you have a small business that has more cash going out than coming in it's, it's not going to be around for very long yeah, so, so cash flow cash management absolutely critical and to this day I've, uh, I've always invest in businesses that are cash flow positive uh, we'll get to that in just a moment but I can I can definitely see that borne out in some of the, the, the positions that you have in the portfolio and some of your commentary uh, so you, you, you work there for a few years and then again you, you move into this I suppose a corporate finance position um, and you work, you spend a little bit of time as an independent expert uh, applying your accounting knowledge. Um, I imagine there are a few late nights, and, but some interesting, some interesting things coming across your desk. Yeah, yeah. so lots of, 
lots of late nights and lots of tight deadlines. Mm-hmm. Um, doing working with private equity on due diligence, um, sort of acquisitions they're looking at making, mm-hmm. and also the yeah, expert, um, expert reports for when ASX companies were uh, subject to takeover bids would come in and provide an independent expert valuation to work out if that takeover bid was, was fair and reasonable. So, look, it was fast-paced. There was um, you know, lots, of, lots of travel, lots of exposure to interesting industries and, and deals and mm. people, businesses. So, um, yeah, a, a really good few years. I imagine it would have been wonderful to get a foothold in that industry and, and learn what goes on behind the scenes in some of these deals that we see in the news headlines. Um, many of our listeners perhaps have had experience in, in private equity or corporate finance or potentially want, want to move into that industry. Uh, what, what advice would you have for them? And I suppose the point I'm getting at here is why did you move from that into public share, share into the share market and public equities? In my experience, the, the best private equity operators are those individuals that have the right balance of commercial and business experience and technical accounting and finance skills. So it's mm-hmm. um, yeah, getting, getting that, that mix of practice and, and theory is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not all about you know, working your way up as a graduate from through a professional services firm. Um, you need to think you need a, a broader skill set than that and those that can have that, you know, that with a variety of experiences and perspectives to, to draw on a... a, a very valuable for someone looking for for success in that field yeah no that um that makes sense um it's um certainly with the 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 pay packets it's a very um, alluring industry to be in um i'm hoping because i I assume it was around this time that um things were starting to get a bit shaky in in global markets and throughout the gfc 2008-2009 were you investing in public or private companies at this stage as well yeah, so I was at that, at that time I was still working in corporate finance, mm-hmm. and it, it was you know it was tough. It, um, work had dried up completely. There was there was no capital around. No one was doing mm. no one had funds to do any deals. And colleagues were made redundant. We were I was cut back to a, a four day week, so that was a twenty percent pay cut. Yeah. Um, so you know it really really hit home. Um, and at the same time, I, I was still investing in in the markets and. You know, every every day was a was a red day. It just mm. went on and on. Um, you just didn't think it was ever going to turn around. But as as with all cycles, it eventually does turn, and there's opportunities coming up the other side. Yeah. Could you find, I suppose, comfort in the numbers? Being a, an accountant, could you could you find? You know, a lot of people are scared away. The behavioural biases kick in at this stage. Did did you find comfort in, I suppose, knowing how businesses tick them from the inside? Yeah, I, you, you get comfort, but you st- I was still amazed at the at the extent of the mm. the, the pricing, um, and 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 then also as things started to turn, the opportunities that that were then available because you had businesses trading on so low so low multiples and businesses or companies that trading less than less than cash backing in, in, in lots of instances. So that wow. the situation created a, a number of really really interesting opportunities I can imagine um, that's great a great segue into what I suppose came next for you professionally um, I suppose the inception of, of DMX can you explain what DMX is and, and where it is today and where it started yes so well DMX actually was, um, came from Dollar Mattress Corporation which was an ASX listed company mm-hmm. um, I had been a shareholder in DMX Corporation or in, in, in Dollar Mattress for a number of years 
I think around 2012, I recall that was subject to a, um, a takeover offer by a, um, a waste management company, Tox Free Solutions. Mm-hmm. So Dollar Matrix was, was, was also a waste management company um, and sold it, eventually sold its assets to a competitor Tox Free Solutions. That left Dollar Matrix or, or, or DMX, was mm-hmm. its ASX ticker code, as a, as a cashed up shell. And it was recapitalized by uh, Roger Collison, um, John Welsh, and, and Michael Haddad, who three um, all, all involved in the financial services field. Mm-hmm. They um, then began looking for fund management opportunities. They had secured an A for sale license. Mm-hmm. And I, I was a shareholder. I was receiving their quarterly updates and their annual reports and saw an opportunity to pitch to them a, a value-based Microcap strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, providing investors exposure to interesting opportunities in an underowned, hard to access mm-hmm. asset class. So, for you personally, was was that uh, a tough decision to make to to forego um, a, a, what I can tell perhaps a, a lucrative career and and step into your own business? I suppose. Yeah, it was. Oh, it was not something. I, Took lightly, but you know, mm. I saw, saw the opportunity. I, over the years, had built up a from investing a capital base that allowed me the opportunity to 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 do other things and not having to, to work for a, a corporate employer. Mm. So this was a this was a, a, a really great opportunity for me, and I was also something that was really important to me was as a retail investor. I, I always thought it was really unfair that privileged broker clients got access to cheap discounted lines of stock and to discounted placements and mm. really good allocations and IPOs and I thought you know this is not a not a level playing field and I really wanted to put a vehicle together that provided investors with albeit an indirect in, in exposure to, to those those sorts of opportunities mm. and yeah that, that's you know, that's, that's pleased us to help turned out and then that we are able to um, access those opportunities that are really hard for most investors out there to mm. to, to get access to yeah they are um, no I, I think it's great and um, the performance to date uh, has, has been impressive let's let's move into your investment process now and to start I think it's let's let's consider where you choose to fish with the money that you have available to invest and um, and why you do that you invest in in Australian smaller micro caps and Typically, when we say smaller micro caps, we mean anything well below $500 million in value and substantially less so. Let's just start with why do you, why do you, why do you invest in that, in that arena? Yes, yeah, so, so our, our sweet spot's probably 10 mil to 100 mil. Mm-hmm. Um, we do go up to 500 mil, but it's really, we really like that, that, that sort of 10 to sort of 75, 100 space. Yep. Because it's... We see opportunities there when, where, where others are perhaps turned off from investing in smaller liquid companies, um, and when we see that as an opportunity to buy growing under the radar businesses mm-hmm. on really attractive valuations, because there's not a lot of natural buyers there. No one else is really interested in investing in those sorts of opportunities. They are normally very illiquid, mm-hmm. and in, in this market. Most investors want liquidity and short-term focus. They want to be able to get in and out and trade the news for etc. And you just can't do that with a lot of these opportunities. So mm. 
that means that you have to have a, a long-term perspective, which we do, mm-hmm. and you have to be um, comfortable taking on the, 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 the uh, being invested in stocks with, with, which, with have limited, which have limited liquidity, yeah. and we're, we're comfortable doing that. So there's, um, we see it as an opportunity where others see, see risks, yeah. and, and that means you know, we can see help some of these small businesses that are doing good things, that are growing, that are profitable, um, and we can provide capital to these small businesses, help them, help them in their journey to grow, mm-hmm. and and that's something we're we we're, we're, we're really pleased to do. I think particularly in the small cap space, there's potential for the informational advantage. You know, if you can access that, and um, particularly if you've got the analytical ability and the the behavioural edge is, is there, obviously if you can invest that invest long term. Um, one of the interesting things is that there's quite a substantial tail on the Australian share market. There's in your universe, I would say, more than a thousand small companies. Um, can you explain how you get from that thousand down to a, a more manageable list for you and the team? Yeah, so, so we're, we're first and foremost value-based investors, so we have to be able to get comfortable with evaluation and margin of safety before we invest. So that means we prefer companies that are profitable mm-hmm. and probably of that a thousand, maybe 10% are profitable. And we also like companies that have a good track record and a good track record of generating cash flows and that means generally paying dividends mm-hmm. so of that 100 that are profitable maybe only two thirds or half are, are paying dividends so it is, it is a pretty pretty narrow universe but that it's not a stack universe there's companies you know, coming and going there's mm-hmm. IPOs there's transactions there's acquisitions there's, there's deals so it's, it's not a it, you know, it's not it's not staying still but it, it, is a, it is ultimately quite a narrow universe and quite manageable yeah um, when people, and we touched on this earlier, when people think about small caps in Australia, they, they, they tend to think about speculative investments, biotechs, resources, technology companies. These, these are common examples. It seems to me that the companies that you hold ultimately are quite high quality. So, in fact, they're potentially the opposite end of the quality spectrum. Uh, from a high level, can you explain the types of quality features you're targeting? Yeah, so we're trying to take away as much risk as we can from investing in smaller microcaps because they're naturally quite a risky it's quite a risky universe they mm. don't have the that's small companies are often quite a bit key man risk there's um, startup risk there's lack of diversification lack of earnings resilience so you, there are a number of risks that we're trying to remove those risks to the extent that um, we're dealing with companies that are profitable They've got a positive cash flows. There's a track record of over the years of, of profit that we can see, mm-hmm. and we can see it got good visibility around their around their future profit. So we're trying to stack the odds as much as we can in our favour by investing sensibly, by not taking on risk around startups, around commercialisation of technology not coming through, mm-hmm. around you know, exploration not coming off, biotechs not. Um, delivering the results they that they need to, and really focusing on good businesses run by good people that have good prospects. Yeah, great. There's a there's a, there's a fantastic uh, blog post on the DMX website where you detailed 14 investment beliefs. Um, I'll pick out a couple of my favourites, and, and yeah. perhaps we can jump off and discuss how these came to be your beliefs. And, and feel free to use any examples if you have them. Um, so the first one was buy companies with a strong asset backing. Yes, so companies that have a market cap valued at 
around or supported by the value of their net tangible assets. So, you know, that's really interesting to us. Mm. Now, assuming those tangible assets can are valued correctly, then it really provides strong downside protection because ultimately that the value of the assets should be the assets should be worth the, the value of the company. Mm. And then to the extent that you've got an operating business in that company as well, you're getting the upside from that, basically getting that for free. It's an mm. option around the, the, the success of that operating business because you're only paying for the, the, the net assets and that's, we find that pretty attractive. I suppose in some ways it kind of flies in the face of a lot of the things that we hear from growth investors lately is that you want capital light businesses that have significant uh, operating leverage, but um, I, can, I can certainly see why um, substantial assets are important. Uh, the next one on the list was knowledge and expertise are more important than diversification. Yeah, so we run a pretty concentrated portfolio. There's around 20, 20 stocks in the, in the portfolio generally. Mm-hmm. And when we think it's, it's more important to know a, a lot about a small number of companies um, than knowing very little about a large number of, of companies. And yeah, as a result, we believe that potentially the, the more diversified you become, the, the, the more riskier the portfolio is because you don't have, you can't devote enough time to, to, to each of the holdings to, to stay on top of what's happening. The next one was a rejection of the idea that volatility or standard deviation is risk. Yeah, so, so, so businesses are dynamic. They're growing, they are making acquisitions, they're doing a lot of thing that, things that each day that change their risk profile going forward. And, and you know, standard deviation is simply a, a backward-looking historic measure mm-hmm. when... Um, Risk should be should, risk should be reflecting, or an analysis of risk should reflect the the, the, the future. Absolutely, um, and you're, you're preaching to the choir here. This all makes sense to me, so <laughs> I take no objection to any of this. One of the key features of the high quality businesses you target, at least it seems to me, is management. And there's a line on the DMX website that says management quality is arguably the the number one determinant of a company's long term success. Um, this is often best done, I find through a qualitative rather than quantitative lens. I mean, we, we use both, but um, can you explain why management research is important and outline some of the signs um, that speak to management quality? Yes, yeah, so the, the reality is we're, we're investing in small companies. There's not a, uh, often not a, a, a deep management team. Mm-hmm. So success is very dependent on a small number, a couple of key individuals. And so the, the, there is real key man risk. So you've got to have, the, the management has to be the, you know, the, the right management are critical. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are you know, a number of factors that, that help give us confidence that, that the, the, the right people are in charge. And obvious one obvious one's been skin in the game. Um, we like looking at the track record of, of management, seeing what they said they were going to do three or four years ago. Did they follow through? Were there excuses? Um, and, you know, that, that's, all, that's all well and good. But, you know, often it comes down to actually meeting management and eyeballing them, sitting down face-to-face, and just getting that, you know, that, that, that gut feel, can, can you trust this person to, 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 to manage this company? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, sometimes it's hard to put your finger on it. Yeah, I was going to say, do you, do you often get it wrong? Oh, look, it, the, the biggest thing we come across is just overconfidence. Okay, interesting. Amongst management, and particularly if there's a, a, a turnaround or a, an IPO or a, um, a, a new management team come on board, they have come with all these great ideas, but inevitably it takes much longer than they expect and mm-hmm. it's a lot more challenging but management I think by their nature are, are, are too are too overconfident and that's something we're, you know, we're, we are we're always aware of yeah interesting this 
This next point relates to the first question today uh, about your car. Uh, there was a recent blog post on DMX website. Uh, I think it was written by your colleague Simon who, who wrote um, about the idea that investors undervalue for simplicity. And you, that was where the VW Golf comes in. In my opinion, we see this everywhere. We see um, undervaluing simplicity across the full spectrum of finance from budgeting, gimmicks and tricks, insurance, and even picking a mortgage to investing. Uh, we often pay a higher price for things we perceive to be more sophisticated. Can you elaborate on why people often underpay for simplicity and perhaps how some of the things or how DMX stands to benefit from this bias? Yeah, look, I think when it comes to investing, there's a real thrill or excitement factor around thinking that you might be part of the next big thing, mm -hmm. the next 10-bagger. You, know, you start thinking about the new car, you'll get all the holiday you'll take if the stock penny dreadful that you're in goes up. 20 times and you know, that, that, that's all that's all well and good and I think that the, the, the valuation of a stock that's not making money is the, the earnings are um, it's not constrained by its current earnings so people can think of the, the, the blue sky the you know, possibility of taking this new tech business taking it the next 20, Amazon yeah 25, 30, 40% market share but you know the reality is that the, chan there's a, the, the chances of it coming off uh, and before um, is very remote and you know there's likely to be numerous capital raising there's dilutions along the way until reality finally you know, hits home and there's a significant disappointment risk mm. on, on the other hand you've got a business making widgets making 10% growth a year far less exciting far far less far less hype built into the share price but I can be pretty confident that that widget making company over the next 10 years is going to generate far superior cash flows than the hot spec stock mm. and at the end of the day over a, over, over a long period of time um, those cash flows are what generates shareholder wealth so the opportunity to buy those sorts of businesses relatively cheap is, is very attractive because they are the ones that are going to be generating the far superior um, returns over the long term. I should add um, that the, the question about cars was related to a study uh, which I'll link to in the show notes um, about uh, the flashy cars are typically driven by investors with a higher risk tolerance. So perhaps it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity for everyone to reflect on the car that we drive and how we invest and see if there's a connection. Um, the next point uh, I want to cover was the valuation and, and how you determine the value of a business. Typically, obviously, every business is different. Um, obviously, dividends are important to you. If you could use an example, by all means. Yeah, look, uh, we, we use discounted cash flows when mm -hmm. we're valuing our, our, our holdings. Um, and, but the, we're adopting realistic assumptions. We're adopting you know, 5 10% sales growth. And we're not looking at hockey stick type growth assumptions that mm -hmm. underlie the values of some of these really high growth companies. And that, that's what we're, I mean, that provides us with comfort. We're you know, happy making realistic assumptions. As a, as a stock um, fiducian FID, it's been listed in 17 years and all those 17 years it's returned double digit earnings growth across 15 of them or something else, whatever them. so it's mm. you know you be, those sorts of businesses are, are, are pretty good to model because those, the assumptions are um, you don't have to make heroic type assumptions to to support the valuation mm. and having done having, or having done our DCF value we also look at um, multiples earnings and enterprise value yep and we're we're looking for businesses that are growing, but on on, on lower on lower PE multiples. So, our our 
portfolios averaging 11, 11 times PE versus a market at 16 times. Mm, quite the difference. Because we're investing in these small companies, there's the opportunity to do that because you can buy these good businesses on, on low multiples because there's not, the, there's not a lot of buyers out there. Mm. Yeah. Um, how about sell discipline? Why do you find yourself selling? Do you sell when intrinsic value when the price hits the valuation? Or? Yeah, well, I mean, we, we are value investors, so we, we sell when the prices are materially above our, our valuation. Likewise, we buy when the prices are below. But you know, we also sell when we consider the thesis to be broken or we, we lose confidence in management. Mm-hmm. Do, you t- do you tend to track those companies after you've sold them? Yeah, we do. We do. Okay, great. Um, coming back to the business now and, and DMX and, and the company, where do you see yourself and the, and the company five years from today, say? Oh, look, look, the most important thing for us is that we continue to look after our investors' interests and you know, we hope to, hope to grow the business and um, introduce some, some new products at some point. But first and foremost, it's about providing good service and good long-term return returns for our, for our investors. Yeah, great, as you have done, I might add. So where can our uh, listeners find out more about you and DMX? Yeah, look, so, so our, our website, um, dmxam.com.au, yeah, there's lots of information, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you can sign up there for our, um, for our content. We produce a, a monthly newsletter and other insights and, and content throughout the month as well. So that's um, yeah, free, to, free to sign up to. Yeah, wonderful. Okay, last question, Stephen, um, my favourite. If you could go back and, and tell the younger Stephen just one thing about investing, what would it be? Look, I, th- I think it's just make sure you stay humble. Um, investing inevitably has lots of ups and downs and you just can't afford to get complacent but if you maintain a long-term perspective and invest sensibly the odds are are well stuck in your favor to to do well that's wonderfully concise and great advice mate thanks for joining me on the show thank you thanks again for tuning into the australian investors podcast for further episodes head to www.raskfinance.com to provide feedback nominate a guest or hear from me You can find me on Twitter with the handle at Owen Rask. Cheers to our financial futures. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.